You're listening to a special guest speaker on the Calvary Brighton podcast. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you uh, are old enough to remember that old TV show, old black and white TV show, I might add, The Addams Family? Anybody remember? Yeah. Let me help jog your memory. You don't remember? dun 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 well, they're creepy. Anyway, so I think you remember the whole. You remember the whole thing, right? Well, the Adams family, or maybe in the newer generation, maybe you're more tuned into the new Netflix series Wednesday. But if you watch these series, then then we all know this this one character who's who's sort of a a, a disembodied hand known as Thing, right? Now, back in the 80s, some of you may remember there was a horror show called a horror movie called The Hand. This, this disembodied hand running around killing people, murdering people. Well, this morning's message is, is not about disembodied body parts kind of living a life of their own. Rather, it's, it's about disembodied Christians trying to do life on their own, trying to do life on their own. Now, uh, in this passage that we just read this morning, the word body is repeated 17 different times, and the word members, or, or as it can also be translated, parts, is, is, is repeated 12 different times. Hence, the title of our message, Body Parts. Body Parts. Now, let's keep the context in mind. Remember, in the context of this passage, the Apostle Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. And so, so far, we've discovered that each one of us has at least one spiritual gift, meaning that we all have something to offer. Uh, There's a place for all of us in the body of Christ. And so Paul's point this morning is that that if you're not using your spiritual gift, if you're not taking your place in the body of Christ, then basically you are a disembodied body part. You're a, a body part that's not doing its part in the body. And so with that, now as we go back to, to verse 12, verses 12 through 14, first of all, we see that the body, that is the body of Christ, is fearfully and wonderfully made. And so verse 12 says again, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all are made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so now, the, the picture that, that the Apostle Paul is painting is, is, is the picture of a healthy body, what a healthy body looks like. In effect, he's saying, you know what? Uh, a body that, that is, is healthy when, when, when all of the individual parts are woven together and they're working together. A body's healthy when all the individual parts are woven together and they're working together. That's a healthy body. And so the body of Christ is one that's fearfully and wonderfully made. You say that phrase, that sounds familiar. Well, it comes from from Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 14 through 16, the, the psalmist says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, obviously, that is a passage that that reminds us that, that as far as God's concerned, in God's eyes, there's no such thing as an unwanted baby. There's no such thing as an unwanted child. That that as far as God's concerned, every child, every baby is fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Now in that psalm, uh, Psalm 139 and verse 16, we notice the word ordained. It says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, this is telling us that, that every day of that child's life has been ordained by God. In other words, that, that, that baby has a call on its life. Every child in the womb has a call on their life. They have a purpose from God. A, a purpose from God. They're, they're, their days are ordained. And by the way, this applies to every baby, even, even the, the, the baby with Downs or, 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 or somebody who, who, who you know, might say that their child was born with a birth defect of this sort or that sort. In fact, I read of, of, a, of a man named Bill Porter. Bill Porter was, was born with cerebral palsy. He was told by, 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 social, by social services that he would never be able to take care of himself. He'd never be able to provide for himself. That his only option was to live for the rest of his life on government disability. But he refused to listen. He refused to give up. Instead, he went and applied at a company called the Watkins Company. Now, this is a company that, that sold household products as, as their salesmen would go door to door to sell these different products. And so he went and applied for this company, and they turned him down. And so he applied to this company again, and they turned him down again. And so finally, he applied for a third time, and this time he told them that, that he would take the worst territory that they had, the territory where, where no other salesman ever wanted to be. And so finally, after all his, his, his persistence, they gave him a job, they gave him their, their worst territory, and he set off. And, and Bill Porter would, would spend every single day walking 10 miles a day, going door to door, fighting a, a crippled body, uh, weakness, fatigue, uh, pain, and ultimately prejudice. But in time, he not only became the company's number one salesman in the city, not only became their number one salesman in the district, he became their number one salesman in the entire nation. I'm here to tell you that Bill Porter was fearfully and wonderfully made. And just as, as our physical bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, the point this morning is so is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen to this. Each one of you has a special place. Each one of you has a unique place in the body of Christ. Now, some of you, maybe like Bill Porter, have been told that you've got nothing to offer. You've got nothing to contribute. But the truth of the matter is that just as he was fearfully and wonderfully made, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a place for you in his body. And the greatest joy in the Christian life is to discover how, how you've been gifted and where you fit in the body of Christ and then start serving to your greatest potential in that area in the body of Christ. And so everyone has a gift. Everyone has something to offer. Why? Because the body of Christ has been fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not here by mistake. You're not in this body by accident. You're here with a purpose. You have a purpose in the body of Christ. Now on that note, as we pick it up in verse 15, verses 15 through 26, Paul now starts talking about different body parts. And he's going to make the point that when it comes to the body of Christ, parts are more than just parts. So again, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, 
for whatever reason, this reminds me, as, as a kid uh, watching TV, and there was this commercial, a commercial back in the day, I, I don't know if it was for a burger restaurant or whatever it was, but they were making fun of, of McDonald's chicken nuggets, asking the question, what part of the chicken do the, do the McNuggets come from? You know, and they're talking about this chicken part and that chicken part and this chicken part, and they finally come to the conclusion, they say, parts is parts. Well, what Paul is saying is that in the body of Christ, parts are much, much more than just parts. But every part is important. Every part has a role. In the body of Christ, the part you play matters. It, it, it's important. Now, with that, keep in mind that, that the background of this is that the Corinthian church was a divided church, right? I mean, this was a church that fought over everything. They fought over who their favorite preacher was. They fought over baptism. They fought over uh, their, their favorite doctrine. And as we've seen, they were also fighting over spiritual gifts. In fact, uh, they, 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 we've seen that they, they, they put uh, too much emphasis on the gift of tongues and also on the gift of prophecy. And as a result, they kind of were walking around acting like, you know what, if you don't have the right spiritual gift, if you don't speak in tongues, well, then you are less spiritual. You, you, you're less significant. You are, are inferior because you don't have the right spiritual gift. And so now Paul is, is, is using this picture of the human body as a way to illustrate how silly division looks. And so his point is that, you know what? Imagine the way you guys are fighting with each other. Imagine if your body fought with itself in the same way. I mean, like if your hand turned and, and, and said to your eye, I don't need you. You know, or, 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 or your head turned to your foot and said, you know, I don't need you. You know, he's like, you know, what would it look like if, if you were just one big eyeball walking around? Where's what it look like? In Dallas, Texas, uh, there's a sculpture in the Main Street District of a, of a giant bloodshot eyeball. This is a 30-foot eyeball. This is what it would look like if you were the body of Christ, if this is it. Just one big 30-foot eyeball walking around. Now, as, as, as ridiculous as, as this sounds, Paul's saying, you know, that's exactly what was happening, happening in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, they, they were these, these, these people that were supposed to be one body, but they're fighting with each other. They're fighting and they're cutting each other off and they're disowning each other and, and they're parting ways. It was just all this division. I read this. It, 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 it's, it's about the, the carpenter's tool shop. And in the carpenter's tool shop, the, the tools were having a conference. They were having a meeting. And during the meeting, Brother Hammer was told to leave the meeting because he was too loud. And so the hammer said, well, if I have to leave this meeting, then Brother Screwdriver should leave the meeting too because he's always turning people around, but he doesn't even know where, which way he's going. And Brother Screwdriver turns and says, well, if I have to leave, well, then Brother Ruler needs to leave too because he's always measuring people as if he's the only one who's ever right. And so the ruler says, okay, fine. But if I have to go, well, then Brother Sandpaper needs to leave too because he rubs people the wrong way. And this kept going and going and going. And, and, and then finally... The carpenter of Nazareth came, came into the shop. And one by one, he picked up each of the tools and he used each tool to create a pulpit from which to preach the gospel. And at the end, Brother Saw turned and stood up and said, Brethren, it seems to me that alone, we are, we are nothing but useless instruments, but together in the master's hands, there's no telling what we can do. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Listen, alone, we're nothing but parts. But in his hand, and, and, and together, there's no telling what we can do. In fact, on that note, I want us to notice verse 18. Notice in verse 18, he says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Notice the word arranged. When it says God arranged the parts. 
Now, this is a, a Greek word, titami, uh, which, which is a, a term that, that is translated put it in its place, put, put it in its right place, or, or set it where it belongs. But it literally can be translated, listen, ordained. Ordained as being ordained for the ministry. And, and so what, what this is saying is, listen, being the part of the body that God made you to be and then working alongside the rest of the body, that's what God has ordained for you. That's God's call on your life. You know, listen, there's a lot of talk these days. You know, what's God's call on my life? What's God's plan for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? This is it. What's his plan? What's his call? His call is for you to be the part of the body that he's called you to be and work together with the rest of the body. And when you do that, you're doing what you've been ordained to do, what you were created to do, what you have been called to do. That's the call on your life. And so with that, each one of us have been given different gifts and, 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 and different talents. You know, maybe, maybe it, it's teaching. Maybe it's teaching children. Or, or you know, maybe, maybe it's showing compassion to the weak. Or, or maybe it's, 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 it's helping the poor. Or maybe it's sharing the gospel. Or maybe it's just helping. You know, you're just available to help wherever help is needed. But the point of the matter is that each one of us has something to offer in the body of Christ. And so alone, we're nothing but parts. But together, and in his hands, we're much more than just parts. We're the body of Christ. So that was Paul's message to this divided church, to this fighting church, to this striving church. He's reminding them that, that they're, they're not parts. They're much more than parts. Together, in his hands, they're the body of Christ. But now, as we pick it up in verse 27, verses 27 through 30, Paul, Paul's illustrating that there's a priority. There, there's, there's an order. There's, there's like a structure in the body of Christ. So in verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all uh, possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, we, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. But uh, what we mentioned was, was that it's interesting that Paul uses the word first. You know, back in verse 28, he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles. And as we pointed out before, the word first there, it's the Greek term protos. We use it when we talk about a prototype, like in engineering, a, a prototype. But this word protos is a word that literally means first in rank, first in importance, and so what this is telling us is that what the Apostle Paul just did was he was making a list, a priority list. He was listing, in order of importance, the greatest gifts, from, from the greatest to the least. And so he's listing, in, in order of importance, from, 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 from first to last, from greatest to, to, to least, the order of importance when it comes to spiritual gifts. So he puts first on the list, apostles, and he puts last on the list, tongues. And then he sums it all up, and we'll see it in just a moment. But, but in verse 31, he sums it up by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Some translations would say the greater gifts. So he, 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 he lists the greater gifts, the gifts from greatest to least, and he says earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now in context, remember, we, we, we mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Corinthians, they believed that the greatest gift was the gift of tongues. 
And so what Paul was doing here is he's showing them that the greatest gift on this list was not the gift of tongues. He points out that was the last gift on the list. It's not the greatest, it's the least. In, in order of importance, as Paul is ranking them, he ranks them from greatest to least, and tongues was last. But why? Why was the gift of tongues the last gift on the list? Well, because as we've mentioned before, it's the only spiritual gift on the list that needs the help of another spiritual gift in order to bless and benefit the body of Christ. And that other spiritual gift is, is called the gift of interpretation. And so the only, you remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 tells us that the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the body of Christ. And the only way tongues can do that is if it has help. And so because it can't do it by itself, it's the last gift mentioned on that list. It's a gift that, that, that needs help. And so now let's take a look at this list. Paul says in, in verse 20, 28, he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles. And we'll pause here. Now that word apostle, apostolos in the Greek, it, it's a term that simply means to be sent out. To be sent out. Now when we talk about apostles, there's, there's like the, the functional definition and then there's like the technical definition. There's, there's a functional version of apostle, then the technical version, if you would. There's the gift of apostle, then there's the office of apostleship. So now first of all, the gift, or if you would, the function. Now, now the function, well the, the term itself just means to be sent out. And so in function, this would basically be a missionary gift. Those who have been sent out to plant churches, those who have been sent out to, to preach the gospel. And so in a practical sense, in a functional sense, that is the function of an apostleship. It's, it's someone who's sent out as a missionary planting churches and preaching the gospel. But then there's the technical sense, or if you would, the office of apostle. And that's what we read, you know, the, we read about the apostles in the, in the New Testament. You know, Peter, James, John, the apostle Paul, so on and so forth. Now, they had the office of apostleship, but listen, the office of being an apostle, that's a closed office, meaning it's no longer for today. So the function still exists, but the office is closed. How do we know that the office is closed? Well, you may remember in Acts chapter 1, one of the requirements to be an apostle is that you had to personally witness with your very own two eyes the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Now, because nobody is, is, is today is like, like over 2,000 years old, there's nobody actually alive who can fulfill that requirement, who can say that they've personally witnessed the resurrected Jesus with their own two eyes. And so the function still exists. People are still being sent out to preach the gospel. They're still being sent out to plant churches. But as far as leading the church and overseeing the church and writing scriptures to this very day, like the apostles did, that's a closed office. And so he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. Now we talked about prophets a few weeks ago. Uh, we, we, we found that prophets are, are those who, who speak forth God's word, but they do it in a way, as, as 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, that it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Or as I said, uh, prophecy is a gift that builds up, stirs up, and cheers up the body of Christ. And so God has appointed in, in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Teachers is kind of self-explanatory. Uh, the Greek term didaskalos is, is, is a term that means to teach or to instruct. That can happen from a pulpit. It can happen from a classroom with the kiddos. It can happen in a home group. Uh, it, you know, it can happen in a variety of different categories. And so he says, God is first appointed, God, I'm sorry, God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. 
few weeks back, we talked about those gifts, miracles and healings. But then there's, it's interesting, he says, the next gift is helping. Helping is a spiritual gift. It's the Greek word antilepsis. It's an interesting term. It literally speaks of helping the weak and the needy. It's not just helping in general, but it's helping specifically the weak and the needy. So maybe someone that in this gift often finds themselves in the hospital, helping those that are sick, helping those that are weak, too, too sick and too weak to help themselves. Or maybe they find themselves in, in homeless ministries or those kind of things where they're helping the poor and helping the needy. Helping the weak and the needy is what this gift speaks of. And then next on the list is administration. Listen, administration can be a spiritual gift. Now the Greek term that's used here is actually a nautical term meaning that, 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 that you're piloting the ship. Now, in those ancient days, how it would work is you'd have the ship owner, and the owner of the ship is the one who would set the course. They would give the direction. They'd say, hey, we're going to go to this island, or we're going to go to this country, we're going to go to this port. But the, 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 the navigator, the administrator, was the one who would carry out the vision. they carry out the direction. They were the one who would be able to steer the ship in the direction that they were given. And so in a practical sense, someone with the gift of administration is someone who can take someone else's direction, someone else's vision, someone else's leadership, and then apply that and, and, and use it to steer the whole ship, get everyone on board, and get everyone going in the same direction. That's the gift of administration. And then finally, the last gift that we see on this list was the gift of tongues. And as I said, it's last, not because it's not a gift, and not because it, it shouldn't be for today, it's last because it needs the help of another gift along with it to have any blessing on the body of Christ. Otherwise, it's just a personal gift. It doesn't fulfill 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And so Paul is painting this picture. He's saying, you know what? Just as there's order in the body, in the same way, there's order when it comes to spiritual gifts. In fact, in chapter 14, Paul is going to explicitly spell out what that order looks like. But now, uh, the, the question is, is what's, what's the best gift? So look at verse 31. We're going to see what happens when your gifts are the best gifts. Verse 31, Paul says again, but, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Now again, he says, earnestly desire the, the higher gifts. Some translations will say the best gifts, or they'll say the greater gifts, the greatest gifts. So now what is the greatest gift? Well, in a sense, the greatest gift is the gift that's been given to you. It's the gift that's been given to you. And in a sense, that's kind of Paul's whole point of this discussion. His whole point is, is to inspire us to, to, to find out what our gift is, to take our place in his body and start using our gifts. And so the greatest gift is the one that's been given to you. And so Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, the best gifts, the greatest gifts. Now, what are those? Now, the, the word best, as it's translated, or higher, or, or, or greatest, comes from the Greek term megos. It means greatest in size. It, it means greatest in importance. It means greatest in weight. He's saying, earnestly desire the weightier gifts the more substantive gifts. In effect, he's saying this. He's saying to this Corinthian church that was a divided church, a, a fighting church, a church fighting over spiritual gifts, he's saying, you know what? If you're going to fight over spiritual gifts, then at least fight over the ones that carry the most weight. Fight over the ones that have the most substance. Fight over the ones that, 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 that you know, actually have something to them. 
the, 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 the more important gifts. Now, which one are those? Well, in context, it's the first three gifts that we just read in verse 28. When, when Paul said that God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. It's the only gifts on that list that he went in that order. First, second, third. Those seem to have the most weight in that list. The weightier gifts. And, and, and so he's saying, listen, he's saying, if, if you're going to fight over, over uh, positions in the church, then at least fight over the ones that, that you know, are going to do something, have some kind of benefit in the church. You know, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, you know, fight over being the ones that, that get to go out there and plant churches or preach the gospel or, or, or build up the church, stir up the church and cheer up the church, or at least feed the church with the word of God. In other words, if you're fighting over at least the weightier gifts, the, the, the more important gifts, at least the church, at least the body has a chance to benefit from all your fighting. If you're going to fight over something, at least make it worth fighting for so at least the body gets something out of it at the end of the day. But then he goes on and he says, and yet I will show you still a more excellent way. <coughs> what he's saying is that, you know what? There's something even better than fighting over the greatest gifts. What's better than, than fighting over the greatest gifts? He says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And I think that last line there, I'll show you a more excellent way, it's a segue to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, he tells us what's better. He tells us what's greater than the greater gifts. And the thing that's greater is love. Chapter 13 is the love chapter. Now remember, love is not a gift of the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But what we see is, is that love is, is not a, a, a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual fruit. And so in effect, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, uh, that he's saying, you know what? Being a fruitful church is better than being a gifted church. It's better to be loving. It's better to be fruitful than it is to be gifted. Now think about that. The Corinthian church was a gifted church. I mean, we're told in the very first chapter of this book that, that they were not lacking any spiritual gift. This was a gifted church. The problem was that this was a church that was filled with a bunch of gifted individuals who were fighting with each other. And as a result, there was division. As a result, they were basically just, just disembodied body parts living a life of their own. They are more of a Franken church than the body of Christ. And, and that's why the Apostle Paul had to remind them back in chapter 12, verse 7, saying, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He had to remind them that, 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 that spiritual gifts were never intended to be for your own personal good, but rather they were always intended to be for the common good, for the good of the body, to build up the body. In fact, quite frankly, that's the whole reason we gather together as a church in the first place. The whole reason we gather together every Sunday and have church and, and gather together is for that reason, to build one another up. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
And so that passage in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that the whole reason we meet together, we gather together, is to encourage one another, is to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Listen, that's happening less and less. I mean, you know, ever since COVID, I'm sure you've noticed that it's easier now than it's ever been before to isolate, to pull away. And now technology has kind of equipped that. It's just easier and easier and easier. In fact, a recent survey has revealed that the definition of regular church attendance has changed over the past decade. The phrase church attendance, regular church attendance, used to be defined by attending church once a week. That was it. If you attend church once a week, you are a regular church attender. But now, the new definition, post-COVID, of regular church attendance is that you attend church maybe twice a month, maybe less. If you attend twice a month, maybe less, you are a regular church attender. Why? Well, because it's become so easy to isolate. You know, nowadays people will say, well, you know, yeah, sure, I I missed the sermon today, but you know what? I I, I can get online. I can watch it on YouTube. I can watch it on Facebook. I can download the podcast. You know, or somebody might say, well, you know, I, I love singing worship songs and everything, but you know what? I can sing those songs in the car as I'm, as I'm on my way up to the mountains to go skiing. I don't need to be in a building to worship God. And listen, that's true. You do not need to be in a building to worship God. But listen, here's something you cannot do in your car as you're driving up to the mountains. Here's something you cannot do as you're sitting in front of Facebook, as you're sitting in front of YouTube. What you cannot do is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. You cannot stir up one another to love and good deeds while you're online, while you're in your car, while you are in isolation. You cannot encourage one another when you're not together. You have to be together to stir up one another, to encourage one another. Listen, that's what church is all about. It's not just coming to hear the sermon. It's not just coming to, 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 to sing the songs. It's, it's stirring up one another. That's the body of Christ. You know, and you know, at the same time, people might get this little complex. They might be like somebody who Paul described here where, where he says, you know, uh, you know, what if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And so maybe you're kind of like, you know, I mean, I don't really do any, anything significant at the church anyway. I mean, you know, my role in the church isn't that visible. They, they would never notice me if I'm not there. Well, in the, in the, in the words of the scholar Dwight Schrute, false. It's an office reference for those of you that don't know. The rest of you that don't know, shame on you. Anyway, but I'm just saying. But, but you know, the, the point of the matter is that, you know what? You are part of the body of Christ. And listen to this. You are a body part in the body of Christ. Now, you may not be one of the most visible body parts, like, like an eye or, or a hand or, 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 or a mouth or something that people can see. In fact, maybe, maybe you're more one of the, the internal organs that nobody sees, nobody notices. You know, listen, a lot of you know that this past year or two, uh, our, one of our drummers, Josh Bowens, had, had, had uh, kidney failure and, and desperately needed a kidney transplant. Now listen, you cannot see your kidneys. But even though you, Josh couldn't see his kidneys, when his kidneys failed, believe me, the rest of his body took notice. The whole body noticed when his kidneys were in failure. And in the same way, I'm here to tell you that, 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 that when a body part in the body of Christ goes AWOL, when a body part in the body of Christ goes missing, the rest of the body suffers. That's what Paul said in verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. The whole body suffers. 
Now, now, by the way, you know, when we mentioned that Josh needed that kidney transplant, do you know where that kidney donor, that kidney transplant came from? It came from someone in this church body. Isn't that a beautiful illustration of how the body of Christ is actually supposed to work? And so the point is, is you know, you'll hear people say things like, you know, well, I'm a Christian, but you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just not into church. Now listen, Paul says, you are the church. He said that in verse 27, you are the body of Christ. You are the church. The church needs you, and you need the church. You have gifts, you have talents. Uh, someone in this church needs what you have. You know, you hear people say, well, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of this church. Well, let me ask you this. What are you putting into it? It's been well said that, that the church is like a bank. The more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And so what is the greatest gifts? What are the best gifts? The best gift is the one that's been given to you. And then when you, out of love, give it to the rest of the body. Or as Abraham Lincoln put it, he said, the purpose in life is to find out your gift, but the meaning in life is to give it away. Listen, that's your call. That's your purpose. That's why you are here. You were ordained to be a body part in his body and, 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 and to do your part in his body. That's your call. Amen? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your call that every one of us has a call in our life. Every single one of us has a purpose. There is a reason that we're here. You put us right where we need to be. Help us to find the place where we need to be and to function in the call that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.